Welcome to Safe Space with Jess Poss, a growing and flowing vibe for the Soul Tribe. I'm Jess Poss, talking all things spirituality, personal development, life, and career, reminding you and myself to show up authentically in radical self-love. It is tough stuff, but worth the work. What's up, Soul Tribe? Thank you again for tuning in another week. Thank you for your ratings, your reviews, your shares, your follows on Instagram. This week, I have Jenna Witowski joining me on the podcast to share her insights and experiences around psychedelic use in a mental health capacity. Jenna is a psychedelic integration therapist and psychedelic medicine advocate. She's a self-proclaimed seeker and earth explorer, hoping to leave the world a tiny bit better than she found it. You can find her blog at jenspace.wordpress.com. I will actually include that link in the episode description. So if you're interested in reading about her journeys that she talks through on this week's episode, be sure to go check that out. Just a simple disclaimer, this episode does discuss psychedelic use, including ketamine, MDMA, and ayahuasca. I am just saying don't do illegal things. That's all I'm going to say. And seek, seek resources and experts and coaches and specialists when deciding which psychedelic treatment you are going to pursue for mental health and healing purposes if you do pursue. And that is all from me. Enjoy the episode and stay tuned to the end for your weekly tarot reading. Bye. Okay, Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jess. Appreciate it. So I am, um, I do want to preface this entire ass interview with a major thank you, thank you, thank you for, um, you being such a pillar of integrative support for me, like both formally and informally since I got back from my ayahuasca retreat. Um, and I'm so happy to bring you on because the, the integration is, that's where the work is. Like everyone's like, oh my God, you, you know, you sat with ayahuasca Jenna sat with MDMA, like this one's sitting with San Pedro. And it's like, yeah, that it's baller in a way. And it's like, but like the real fucking work is the integration and like the spirals that naturally come in that process. And I just want to thank you so much for answering the call to do the work that you're doing. Yeah, I, I so much appreciate that. It's been a pleasure to be part of your journey. I consider whenever I work with anybody in this capacity, it's such a privilege and an honor to be part of that person's experience because it is such a, I use the word sacred. It's a sacred place. Yeah. Um, and, and just to sort of allow or witness that process for somebody as they start to kind of unpack and allow that process to unfold is so incredibly beautiful and rewarding. And I'm so happy that, uh, you and I had that opportunity to do that together and that I'm, I'm doing that more with people that I've been working with and also have had that space help for me as well in my own journeys. Oh, I love it. So let's like, just dive right in. So 
How long ago did you decide you wanted to explore psychedelic treatment in the mental health space for yourself? Oh, that was um, not immediately, actually. So I, you know, I'll talk to people about this sometimes. Like I've certainly like dabbled in experimental psychedelic use prior to actually mm -hmm. getting into the space of doing this more formally, you know, personally on a personal level. Yeah. Um, it was more so when I started to do some of the classes that I was taking with an organization called Fluence, uh, where I did a lot of my original training, when I started to hear more about people's experiences in those, in those settings, like other clinicians who had, you know, witnessed people's experiences or had them themselves where I was like, okay, I want to do this on a different level. I want to see, you know, where these experiences can go in the presence of another person. You know, what would it be like to take these things and then apply them to my own stuff that mm -hmm. I'm dealing with as a human going through life like anybody else? Mm -hmm. um, so it was probably pretty soon after I started, but not not immediately. Like I wasn't like signing up for these uh, these trainings and being like, oh, I got to jump in and do all these things right away. I really wanted to be very thoughtful and conscious about, you know, what medicine I wanted to pursue. Um, as we're aware, there's some things that are legal and not legal. There's all sorts of like nuances of like accessing certain things. And I wanted to do it intentionally and safely as well. I'm curious if um, the call to explore sitting with the medicines took yourself by surprise. It's an interesting question. I think I've always been a person who's been growth oriented. Mm. So I think I've always been somebody who throughout my whole life, like I think back to when I was a little kid, you know, something would be told to me and I'd be the kid who'd be like, well, why, you know, what, <laughs> <laughs> but my parents will listen to this. They'll probably laugh. Like, you know, but, but I always wanted to like know more. I don't know that I've ever just been satisfied sort of with like a surface level type of thing. So yeah. as I have done therapy myself, you know, for some of my own stuff that I've dealt with. Um, I felt like the medicine could take it to a different place, mm -hmm. that there was growth beyond, you know, what I had experienced or that there was the potential for that. Mm. So that is, is it was surprising maybe in the way that it sort of like happened for me, like stumbling upon this at this point in my career, I was not anticipating this to be something. It wasn't like I went to school and I said, oh, I'm going to do psychedelic assisted therapy with people someday. I didn't even know I'd be doing mental health therapy someday. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so funny, like how I look back and I'm like, oh, no, these these paths like sort of just like coincided with each other. And now it's like everything. I don't know how else to describe that. <laughs> you know, it's I like, know it's like, exactly. You know, what you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> like it's now it's just it's just always like in my in my vision now. Yes. All the time. Yes. Um, so how long after, um, you know, going through the, the certifications and the courses that you were taking, did you like finally like book or decide on a medicine and then book? I would love to hear how you decided on which, which to do and like why that one. Yeah. So this is, this is funny. We're talking about this on the podcast, but I'll do this for the sake of transparency and education. So <laughs> One of my very first experiences was a self-guided uh, psilocybin experience, mm -hmm. which did not go great. Um, 
it was very challenging. I, I knew, you know, kind of like the stuff I learned in, in talking about it through some of the courses I took, you know, set and setting, you know, having an idea of like how much I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that probably like midway through. Um, it was uh, New Year's Eve of 2021. So going into, oh, excuse me, it would have been 2020 going into 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very emotional, challenging journey. And uh, I, it, it was in, in hindsight, what ended up coming out of it was I realized that there was more work that needed to be done. Like mm-hmm. under the surface level of things, like in that journey, there was a lot of sadness that had come up for me. Um, a lot of things where I, I had thoughts about stuff where I was like, no, there's like more work here that I have to get to. Um, and then the next time I have this experience, I want to have it in the presence of another person mm. to just sort of be there with me and hold that space. Um, so fast forward from there, I, I uh, had the opportunity to experience a ketamine assisted session uh, would have been August of 2021. So actually just about a year ago. Uh, with an organization that I've been partnering with here out of Buffalo. And for this this experience, I was much more prepared. Um, I had already started working with a therapist. I had somebody lined up to do some integration after. Mm, smart. So, yeah, so it was like, it was a much different experience this time around. Um, so, so, yeah, so I went from this, like, not so, this was just like the maybe not so great initial setup of the first one and then like realizing from maybe some of my mistakes that I felt like I made of like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something different next time Mm -hmm. around with it. Um, can you describe the difference in the journey between that psilocybin self-guided journey and the ketamine assisted journey? Can you just describe the differences for people who haven't done either? Yeah, absolutely. So the psilocybin journey, the the biggest thing I think that stood out to me was the duration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of like I call it like riding the wave, like the roller coaster, like sort of this like kind of yeah. ups and downs. And you know, one moment I'm in this place that's like great, and the next moment I'm like, oh my god, I've never been so fucking sad. Yeah. Like really, just like kind of riding through that. And I feel like in that journey. I was definitely in this very kind of like grounded, you know, place where it just felt like, oh no, there's like a heaviness of things to this, right? Like there's like this energy where it's like something kind of feels like stuck or it's like not moving. When I, my first ketamine experience, um, quite the opposite actually, um, much, much shorter duration, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of lose all perception of time when you're in a ketamine space. Yeah. Usually like I had no idea if it had been five minutes or five hours that I was wherever I was. Uh, but the sensations were just like lighter. I felt like just more expansive, just kinder, kind of more open. Um, and the duration of time, again, like I said, was much shorter and both experiences, however, super valuable, just really, really different, um, for me personally. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, there's, there's the assumed side effects of a, a trip, right? People are like, Oh, the colors and the numbers and the fractals and the, the grooves and the waves. Um, did you experience any of that with your psilocybin journey and what's, and what is ketamine like in terms of visuals, if any? Yeah. So, uh, in my psilocybin journey, I definitely had some visual stuff that was sort of happening for me. Um, it was more though, 
a little bit again like I said like harsher like I you know kind of felt again this like very like grounded kind of like more like sad type of energy Mm -hmm. um I didn't really have any like I know people talk about these like like rainbows and these colors Mm -hmm. and these like whatever like I did not have any of that in my experience Mm -hmm. um the ketamine wasn't so much for me about visuals like there were some things in the background like I kind of equated to like you know when you're a kid and you have like little those little like kaleidoscope toys and you pick it up look like into the sun and it makes like the different pictures I had visuals like that but they weren't really colorful Hmm. it was almost like with the the music shifting there would be like this like openness of something and I'd almost see like this visual representation of something opening up or like the change in a shape but it wasn't really like super colorful or anything but like what I think I felt in both experiences was this like very strong sense of like emotion someplace Mm -hmm. um and that sensation of being connected like to my body in some way even though I know I said earlier like ketamine was a little bit more of like a floating experience the uh, feeling of the emotion of love or just like acceptance or even just in the mushroom experience feeling sadness yeah um I am somebody who historically shut my emotions off. Mm-hmm. My trauma response, right? Right. I'm not going to feel much of anything if I don't have to. Right. So in these experiences, it's like, oh no, you're going to feel it all. <laughs> and a little extra. And a little extra. Just, exactly. Just for good measure. Yep. And then um, following your ketamine experience, what was that integration uh experience like because I, I i found that people's integration periods whether you're integrating consciously or not the period following medicine journeys is such a make or break time yeah it definitely uh so for me at that point i had you know been in this program and was doing some training a little bit at this time when this actually happened where i had this access now to like these wonderful humans that i became you know, close with in different places where I could like reach out to a colleague or somebody else and say, Hey, listen, like I, I have this experience coming up, right? People reaching out to me and saying like, you know, how did it go? Are there parts of this you need to talk about or process? And there were some people that I did connect with over that. I also had begun working with a individual therapist as well and would talk with her, even though this person had no formal training and in integration work, uh, was really like open-minded. And I kind of joked with her about that. I was like, Oh, you know, laughing sort of at retrospect. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you can like put me down for, you know, some kind of substance use disorder or something, I guess. Like, I don't know. Like, because <laughs> I kind of threw at her pretty often. I'm like, hey, I'm like doing this or I'm going to go do MDMA in two months or I'm going to do yeah. whatever. And we would just kind of chuckle about it. But she, she was absolutely wonderful and just wow. held just such beautiful space for me. Um, it didn't kind of like give me that weird like side eye look when I would be talking about something that probably maybe didn't feel like it made much sense, but would rather just allow me a safe place to explore that within myself and make my own connections sometimes just through us conversing. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful too, because I, um, I don't know that I, I don't know that I would have done that. I don't know that I would have, like, I sought someone who mm-hmm. had, ba- had, experience in this field that's so interesting that's so great that she was such a supportive role um what about your your like real life like what in your real life started to shift after that first uh ketamine journey well um this is something i actually have not talked about before with anybody but around my my first ketamine journey um i was going through a breakup 
and I was having a very difficult time at the, you know, as that experience kind of was simultaneously happening. It was weird. It was like, you know, this, this event happened between me and this other person. Um, it was actually a few days after that, that I had the ketamine experience. And there was actually like part of me that was like, yeah, should I do this right now? And I was like, no, I need to do this right now. Like this has been planned. I need to do this for me. Um, so that was kind of occurring at the time. Um, and you know, around that time I had just like a lot of like love and support like around me from lots of people in my life anyway. And it really helped just with the unfolding of that process after, you know, after having the ketamine experience Mm -hmm. and in that ketamine experience for the very maybe one of the first times I connected to such like a beautiful sense of just like love, you know, mm. just the support and this just like uplifting feeling. And I remember coming out of that experience and I was like, yeah, like life is like really painful sometimes, but like, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's all going to be okay. Like this is, this is, this is going to be okay. Like I'm loved. That other person is loved. Right. You know, I can, move forward from this and like, you know, I can continue on and do different things and whatever. And it doesn't necessarily have to define everything that's happening right now. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just sort of interesting that those things were kind of coincidentally happening around the same time. Yeah. You know, from my witchy view, like that was meant to be, there's like no coincidence in my eyes. That's just like, wow, that's wild, wildly profound, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so then how long after your ketamine, did you have any follow-up ketamine treatments after that? I did. Yeah. So in November of last year, so this would have been November of 2021, I attended a ketamine assisted psychotherapy course actually out in Los Angeles. So I got contacted through a listserv that I'm part of to basically, you know, they were opening it up, an organization called Field Trip Health was organ- opening mm-hmm. up this training and saying, you know, if you're a clinician, you want to learn more about ketamine, basically fly out to LA and we'll like go through this like training with you. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, it's Buffalo, it's November, like let's, let's make it happen. (laughs) Right. Um, so, so I went out there and, uh, met some like really wonderful people. The, the training itself was very well done. Uh, there was actually a, a trainer that had, um, started to do some training for the organization out of Toronto. That was lovely. Uh, still have remained in touch with her periodically, um, to ask her questions about, Canadian stuff because she's not super far from Buffalo as it comes yeah. <laughs> across the border for things. So she's been really helpful. Um, so yeah, so I got to go out to LA and we learned sort of like a modality of like offering ketamine almost like in a group setting and then also offering some stuff individually and also sitting with people during a ketamine session as well. So like actually being present and holding space for another person during during those actual experiences. So yeah, so I got to, um, at that point I'd had, um, intramuscular injection of ketamine mm-hmm. at that clinic. Uh, the first ketamine experience I had was IV ketamine. Was there any difference in the, uh, journey from those two? You, you know, they are, what I would say the big predominant thing that stands out to me is like with the, the muscular injection, like the takeoff is like very rapid. The blast <laughs> off. It, yeah, the blast off. Yeah, you go to space much quicker. Um, <laughs> and you you come down a lot faster. Okay. I felt like that the peak and sort of the come down from it were much more rapid, whereas, you know, which would make sense with an IV, you're getting a steady state mm. of medicine the whole time. 
Um, and in my second experience, I actually had like a, a peer who was also getting ketamine the day before sit with me. Um, and at one point, like held my hand through the session. And it was just so incredibly profound and beautiful. I was like, oh my God, like I can be out here and I can be exploring this. And I'm still tethered mm. to earth and this is okay. And like, I really felt like I could just now having had that first experience under my belt, like really just get into the medicine and like see what it could do. And it was insane. It was just so cool. Um, and again, like, you know, we were talking about it, but it's like ineffable. It's like hard to describe what yeah. it was besides just cool as hell. Oh, now you're just selling me so hard. And that sounds, it sounds like that was, uh, all of this medicine work is, um, creating vulnerable moments for ourselves, but just hearing how you said that the handholding was profound in itself, that sounds like you really like walls were down and like heart open. Totally. 100%. That's what it felt like. And that was probably the thing I kept coming back to, even in integration after mm -hmm. that experience, I was just like, I'll still tell people about it. I'll be like, that was the coolest part of all of it. Like not only just that feeling of love, but just being like, wow, this other person's here for me. They're just holding space. They have no expectations of me. They're not asking me to do something for them. They're not asking me to, you know, do them a favor or, you know, do whatever. They're just, they're just here. And it's just an act of like love. And I think about that all the time when I hold space for people now of like how much that really means. It doesn't have to be handholding, but just like having somebody be there with no expectations is just a really beautiful thing for us to do for each other as humans. It's uh, I'm curious if you, when the handholding happened, was there, did you experience some kind of intensified sensation in that moment? Definitely. Um, I felt like my chest like exploded open, like oh <laughs> with love, honestly, like it's so funny. People are going to listen to this and, and people who have done it are going to like, know, and other people <laughs> might be like, well, that sounds kind of, you know, weird <laughs> or cool or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was just like, it just blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my mind. I was like, oh, this is, this is what, this is what love feels like. Right. Like this is what Dude. it's like to just be just unconditionally just sat for help for, you know, just, no expectations. And like hearing you talk about this is, you know, I, I believe this, I experienced something similar in my ayahuasca journey after I died, you know, one of the helpers, she just hugged me. I was like, can I have one hug? And she gave it to me. And I was like, this is like literally what it's all about. Like we get so caught up. We are so hard on ourselves and we go, go, go. And this, the simplest thing of someone holding your hand when you're just truly opened and exposed is like uh that's that's really like the medicine you know yeah and, and you know i think back on that experience and it was sort of like a stranger nonetheless some to some yeah. degree right like there and that's why i think like too i i could go on about this i get on a soapbox here about this but the the ethics behind doing this work mm -hmm. Right. Like we like I am working with people and we I say is people who are working with people in altered states or people who are doing integration work are working with people who are in vulnerable positions. Right. Like people whose guard are like totally down or they are in this place that is just so sacred that it has to be treated with respect That's and so kindness true. and love, um, you know, because I felt like from that person, I did not know this person very well. Like, of course we got acquainted. Like that was part of the training. Like how do you build, you know, rapport with somebody and us as clinicians were like, yeah, we, we do this all the time. But like, 
a day of knowing somebody and jumping into an experience like that was also an exercise for me in vulnerability and trust, because that was something for me historically, that's always just been very challenging. Mm. So I was definitely pushing myself very hard Mm -hmm. and sometimes going into that. So interesting. It's so interesting. So now after that uh, training, what was next? Was there an additional ketamine um, experience or did you move into the MDMA? No. So actually at that training, I met somebody (laughs) and I can't name names, obviously, um, (laughs) who, who very graciously, you know, so I should back up the train here a second. So I had just been conversing with other colleagues at this training. Basically, we were just talking about like psychedelics in general. And, you know, I had mentioned in passing how interested I was in like learning about MDMA. I'm like, oh my God, it would be so cool to like have an MDMA experience. And I was speaking more about like, oh, at some point, maybe, you know, if it's legalized or whatever, I think it could be really helpful and I would love to partake. And uh, one of the individuals at the training kind of said to me, well, you know, I do underground MDMA work. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so if I just ask for this, apparently it's maybe just going to happen, right? <laughs> so I I was kind of like, oh, all right. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, okay, cool, whatever. So the next day, you know, I in the morning before we started our session, this person was grabbing coffee. So was I. And I said to, to this person, I said, you know, are you, you know, I'm really interested. Like, how mm-hmm. serious are you? And this person was like, oh, I'm serious. Like, let's exchange information. And, you know, you can reach out to me when you think you're ready. And I was like, okay, well, let's be serious about this because I'm going to do it. And they were like, yeah, no problem. Okay, sure. <laughs> so it was um, probably about two months after that mm-hmm. that I, I reached out to this individual and I said, hey, like, uh, I'm still interested. And they were like, all right, we'll plan your trip out here. This was going back to California. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about logistics. And uh, before I knew it, I was flying out to to California at the end of February and connecting with this person again, sort of a, a stranger <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> and, uh, and, and doing MDMA with this person who um, has been what I consider to be an incredible source of light and love and just a person who's been doing underground work um, for probably about 15 years now, that was, uh, that experience in itself was just an incredible gift. Um, probably on the, the top, top three things that have ever happened to me. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty beautiful. Let's get into that. But before we do, isn't it so wild how growing up, you know, like we're the same age and, you know, we had AIM and AOL chat rooms and it was like, don't talk to strangers, don't get in cars with strangers and don't do drugs. And here we are like 36, 37. We're like, let's let it fucking rip. Let's, let's just like, things, let's right? travel out of state with <laughs> to a stranger to take the drugs and like to make me better. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. I know it seems so counterintuitive, right? Or, or, or maybe risky or dangerous. You know, when I had this conversation with people prior to, to going on this journey back to California, um, of course, like my parents were just like, are, are you okay? Like what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, some people are just kind of like, oh, cool, you know, whatever. But like, for me, I think I also like relied very heavily on trusting my intuition about this. Mm-hmm. Like I spent some time with this individual over the time that we were doing the training in California really got to see just how they held space there. It wasn't just like, this was a random person I met on the street and I had like a bad feeling about them. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to go to their house. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
it, it's, it was really kind of strongly trusting my intuition at that time and, and just really kind of following it and, and feeling like this is right for me. And this feels like this is going to be okay. Um, and of course I was like super anxious before I did it anyway, or any of any medicine experience I've ever had, I've always been pretty anxious before, which I think is kind of normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this experience itself ended up just being so incredible that I have no regrets over sort of taking, taking the risk maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, um, what was your parents' reaction? If, if you, if you care to share and if it's okay to share, you know? Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, definitely. So it's funny. My dad, I think just kind of, you know, will, will say to me, just kind of be like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> If that's what you got to do, then go ahead and do it, right? Um, you know, my mom, on the other hand, it's funny. I and she'll not, she'll be okay with me saying this. Um, certainly had some reservations about just let's say drugs in general, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and she and I recently just had this conversation not that long ago, where we were talking about you know the work that I've been doing, and I don't think she quite like understood the way that these medicines are being used, and. Um, certainly had some reservations but again was sort of like listen like i love you i care about you i want you to be safe and i'm also concerned um and, and we talked about it together you know we had a conversation if anything it forced us to communicate about it right um where it's kind of like okay like i'm i can understand you know why my parents might be concerned even though i'm a 37 year old adult um <laughs> But, but I also, you know, felt like, okay, if I'm going to also be talking about this with other people, or I'm going to be blogging about this, like I want to talk to them about it or address any concerns that they might have before I do these experiences, it's likely not going to change my mind if they said, no, I don't want you to do that. But I wanted to communicate about it and just try to have a healthy interaction about it. That actually sounds, um, both of those responses sound way more um, open and supportive then you know because those conversations could go left totally yeah and yeah. that's sometimes i'm talking about people with that in preparation right yeah. before people are using some of these things it's like starting to assess like in your circle of people right whether it's your parents or your siblings or your best friends like what are people's you know have you told people you're thinking about doing this mm -hmm. what do you think would happen if you did right you know, would you be received well? Would you be told, no, you shouldn't? How will that affect your choice? How do you think that affects your, you know, proceeding forward with something? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I think my parents both trust me, though, that I, you know, I think they, I think they trust me. Yeah. You seem like you've always been um, your own kind of trailblazer. Like, you, you have an idea of, like, what you're going to do, and you're just going to go fucking do it. Yeah. So I guess like, it's funny we're talking about this. I had a conversation with another friend of mine yesterday and we were just talking about how we're like these really great ideas. People were like, oh, we get this like cool idea. It's like, oh, I want to do this thing. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. But sometimes like we have different ideas about things and it's like the follow through or like the getting to doing something like the details part mm -hmm. is tough. I always have great ideas. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is like the coolest thing I want to like chase after now, right? But like, yeah. and sometimes like the actual organization of making it happen is a little bit harder. That's so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nobody else is like that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, there's some people who are like really details oriented people. I'm just really not. I'm just like, I usually just I'm ready to like dive in if I'm enthusiastic about something. Yeah. And that's... there's value to both of those things. Yeah. But that's your Aries. 
That's your Aries son talking. Yeah, I'll fire fire all day, girl. (laughs) Okay, so now for your, um, let's talk to MDMA. I need to know, like, you know, ecstasy was like, it just like we saw in How to Change Your Mind, right? Like, Mm -hmm. ecstasy burns holes in your brains. And it's like, damn, that's crazy. Like, what a wild thing to happen. You take a drug and you have a hole in your brain. And then they come out and they're like, that was complete fucking bullshit. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I wasted time being afraid of holes in my brain when I could have been healing. (laughs) Totally. So when I, when I saw that on that series, I was just like, Oh my goodness. You know, like I'm not surprised that there were lies made up about these things or that this information was presented, you know, this propaganda against these things, but just, and and I say that knowing that there has to be safety, right. Sure. But also come on, like how much, how much could we have used this? Where would we be today, you know, in our country, in our world? Like, I don't know. It's, just, it's really fascinating to be sort of on the precipice of these things happening. It's actually, I was just talking about this yesterday with a colleague at Psychedelic Spotlight, the number one source of news culture, <laughs> pop culture, legislation in psychedelic Is space. that a plug? Is that a yeah. plug? <laughs> Swati, I hope you're listening. It's my boss. <laughs> um, but really, like, we are we are truly at the forefront the front of the line of like this bubble bursting into mainstream it's i mean it's happening it's already starting to happen um but it's so crazy to think you know the internet boom was something that like we got to we got to watch that as kids it was like computers and something was called the World Wide web and then boom it was every aim aol your away message your email lyrics in your away me- like it changed our life it changed how we connect it changed everything how we shop how we talk everything right and this i i keep getting premonition hits i'm like this is the next big big boom we'll have two and oh i just got chills we're gonna have two mm-hmm. in our lifetime it's so crazy and like we did it before the boom, you know? Yeah, right. Totally. And it's just, you know, and I and I want to also, like, think about you, right? Like, people have been doing this work underground, right? Like, when MDMA was yeah. taken out of the hands of people or therapists in the 80s, like, people went underground and they're like, fuck this. We're mm-hmm. going to keep doing this because we see value in it. Yep. And how brave is that, right? Like those are the real heroes. And I just have so much respect, right? And even we think about like indigenous cultures who are oh using God. certain medicines for, for thousands centuries. centuries, yeah. Right? It's it's just like but but I keep coming back to this thing of like, you know, people are saying to me, like, why are you doing this? It's like because people deserve to heal. Like yeah. we deserve to like live a life that's worth living and feel happy and healthy and secure. And we have enough hard shit we deal with every single day. Yep. You know, it's like, it's like why, maybe this is like where my brain goes, you were saying before about like kind of being like maybe an initiator on things. It's like, I've always been a person that's like, well, why can't we just like, okay, this is fine, but why can't we do it better? Like, what can we do differently? What's the more efficient or effective route for this? Mm -hmm. And I, I know that psychedelics will not be for everyone. I'm not here of like saying, oh, we should just hand them out and like, you know, not give any pause to who is consuming them or receiving them. But like, why why should we not allow this for people? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. come on now. <laughs> like what's what we have right now is great. It's effective for some, but it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's really not. And 
I think most people who have experienced some kind of discomfort and dissatisfaction from traditional medicine, I, I don't know anyone that hasn't had some kind of like, you know, the doc, you know, I went to the doctor for this issue and it wasn't treated. I was told to go somewhere else or they told me it was because of this or whatever, or like whatever the case may be for anybody. We we've all experienced these like hiccups with traditional medicine. That's like, well, you're not really treating the whole person. You're, you're treating a symptom based on a textbook, which is fine, I guess. But like, there's this whole other person here though, too, with like unique DNA and unique reactions and unique, um, you know, stored trauma in your body. So it's like, where's the holistic practice? And then one step further, like, where's the spiritual practice? We don't have spirituality in our culture. And I truly believe now from this like zoomed out perspective, the societies that do have spirituality, whatever that means, like connection to mind, body, soul, and just openness, mm -hmm. right? The cultures that do, they do live longer. They do find joy in smaller things. And here we are grinding away till we're like grinding to the bone. Yeah, on for what? For fucking what? And it's like to be in a bad, <laughs> to be in a bad mood every fucking day. That's what you yeah. want. You want that. And if you do, okay, go off. It's your choice. Yeah. But it's like, we don't have to stay here. That's the thing too, is I feel like the medicines, um, lift this like veil of none of these things. You don't have to do anything. They lift the veil and they make you realize you have sovereignty. You have choice. Totally. E even in scenarios where you think I, you really think you don't, you always, always do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to remind people when I'm working with them, whether we're doing psychedelic work or we're doing, let's say therapy, normal therapy, normal therapy. <laughs> I gotta laugh when I say that. I met people all the time, like you do have choice, right? Like you don't always get to pick what happens to you. You don't always, you know, get to avoid situations that are painful or situations that cause, you know, growth that maybe you don't feel like you're ready for, but you do have choice in how you are going to respond to it. You have choice in how you want to move forward from it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I, yeah, you're right. It's, it's like, yeah, we do, we have choice. Like, and these things allow us, these medicines allow us, I think, to just sort of what's been profound for me, at least in my experience is I don't know if it's the same for you. It's a felt sense of something as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to rationalize in your brain like oh i uh, should think a different way about something it's like well i've been trying to think a different way about something for 20 years and it doesn't fucking work right. or it works for a little bit or it only works so much yeah and it's like that when you access it or that altered state or that place you're like oh shit like there's something different here you just you position that so well because um what i'm noticing too is um since my journey really since ayahuasca it has been, my decision-making is based on feeling. They're all spirit-led decisions now. We're like Jessica-led decisions now based on feeling. How's this going to make me feel? And if it's not bringing peace and happiness, I'm letting it go or I'm moving away from it. And I'm like, that's your first step. And then you can think around it. Think the plan yeah. around that, right? But I, I feel like this resonates with you. In the past, it's always been the opposite for me. It's like, what's the logical choice? Go that way and like figure out how to make yourself feel better later on. 
Yeah. Or you get into these like really kind of perseverative places sometimes Mm. of like thinking about something. It's like your brain only goes where it'll sort of allow you to go or you're stuck in this anxiety loop of trying to like figure out all the stuff when sometimes there's just not great answers to things. And right. And that's when you have to rely on the feeling part. It's like, all right, I got to do something here or else I get stuck in that place of um, not being able to move or in action or fear. It's so true. So true. So now with the MDMA experience, you go to California with your stranger friend who's an underground provider, which is so beautiful. I love this story already. Um, what, as much details you can share about your, your mind, body, and soul experience on the MDMA, just like, please let it rip. Um, well, it was an experience where, you know, as before I even took the medicine, I was sitting with this person. So, so prior to the, the night before taking the medicine, so I, I gave myself a little cushion of time here. So I flew to California. I stayed for about a week. I was there for about two days before I ended up meeting with this individual for some preparation work. And, you know, this person was kind of like, you know, we need to sit down and really hammer out here, like what we're doing. Like, what are, what are you looking to do here? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So we met for probably about two and a half hours the night before. And really just like, you know, this person's like, not necessarily like this bluntly, but like, what's your trauma? Like, what's the deal? Like, where are you getting stuck? Like, what, what's, what are we hoping to kind of like work through? Right. So after I left that, I already kind of felt like I got kicked in the ass because of, you know, not, not by, not by anything they were doing, but yeah. just like, oh, okay, here I am, you know, I'm just, I'm doing, I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, so this person said, well, you know, come back tomorrow morning, like around eight o'clock and we'll get started. You know, so I arrived to this individual's home the next morning. And of course I'm like kind of nervous. I don't know what to expect. Yeah. And I'm just greeted with just an embrace and, you know, I'm so happy you're here, you know, welcome, you know, <clears throat> This individual has uh, a setup that they'll probably never, ever be able to afford um, in terms of just the home and everything else. There's this beautiful just music and and attention to detail and, you know, really just welcoming into the space that was just like comforting. Yeah. And uh, part of my experience was that I, I would be spending the evening there at this person's home, you know, just for safety reasons and because we were going to do follow-up the next morning. So I was kind of showing the area that I would be in. And, uh, you know, this person said to me like, Hey, let's take our time. You know, why don't you go take a little walk in the garden or take a look at the mountains or, you know, if you need to spend some time reading or writing, there was no pressure. Um, so I gathered myself probably for about a half hour or so. And I was just like, you know, in my true like Aries fashion, I'm like, let's just fucking do it. Right. Like, give me the thing. Let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> before I change my mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, so I took, you know, the the uh, the MDMA, um, and I just laid down. And this person, you know, had some music playing and said to me, you know, I'm going to be here with you. You know, whatever it is you need, you just ask me. You will be safe. I will take good care of you. Like, you know, mm. they offered to write things down for me, so they kept, you know, a script the whole time. Um, and I took the medicine, and it took probably. I think about 35 minutes or so, 45 minutes for it to kick in. And when it did, I was like, I, I don't remember what I said, but I, I said something that indicated to my, to my person that was there with me, my sitter, I was like, oh, I think it's happening. And, and this person was like, oh yeah. Like, and, and what they said to me, I can still hear their voice in my head was like, welcome to your inner healer. Whoa. Whoa. Oh. Why do I have chills? 
it was like it was like I, I would imagine maybe like when you hear people describe like near-death experiences it was almost like going through this tunnel and there was just this like warm like white light and I had eye shades on so this was all internal like there was no external stimuli I wasn't looking at anything this was just like a felt sense of just like warmth and just love and feeling like you were kind of wrapped in this like blanket um so that was sort of the start of it and interestingly maybe about a few minutes after that I had ventured sort of in my mind to this place like that I felt was like kind of on the outside of, of my experience, which again, this is like, I'm talking about these things. People are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But like, it makes sense to me. So, yeah. um, and this place was like, not the greatest place. Like I felt as soon as I started to approach it, I felt it like sinking feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh boy. Yeah. I'm like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is going to be like a place where there's going to be some like dark shit in here and like whatever. And I said to my guide, I was like, what if I don't want to be here? Like, what if I'm afraid? Yeah. And, and they said to me, what if it's an illusion? Like, what if it's not even real? And I like, literally like, was like, oh, what if it's not? And it never happened again. Bro, <laughs> my brain is exploding. It blew my mind. And, and they're like, well, yeah, what if your fear is just like an illusion? What if it's not even a real thing? What if it's something you've told yourself is there? Oh my God. And maybe a, it's not. What a lesson for life, right? Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, I moved around it. Right. So, so subsequently from that, you know, I had been doing a lot of like internal family systems parts work with my mm -hmm. therapist back home. I felt like I was able to dialogue with some of my parts. Like I have a very strong protective part. Yeah. Um, in my MDMA experience, I refer to that part as the mountain, wow. which was kind of cool and big. <clears throat> and I was able to sort of interface with this part of myself and sort of negotiate, you know, be like, Hey, where did you come from? Why are you here? You know, what are you trying to do for me? You know? Mm -hmm basically asking this part of myself, can you step aside so that I can like, you know, do more things for myself? Like, I don't feel like I need, I appreciate you and love you for all you've done, but I don't feel like I need you to do these things anymore for me. And I was able to, to navigate that. Um, I was also able to kind of come upon some exchanges internally and through the help of my guide of discussing some like generational trauma in my family like, how did I get to where I was today? Like, what were, what were all the things that were kind of leading up to that? And I just had these moments of just like, total shifts in how I viewed certain decisions my parents had made, or things that happened to my grandparents, or things that like, maybe I questioned historically, where when I would think about it, I would be like, well, that's fucked up. Like, why did that happen? And it's not that I, you know, looked at some of those things and said, oh, those things are fine. They don't bother me anymore. But I looked at them with compassion and I was just like, okay, like life is hard. Yeah. Like, you know, it, I, I get it. Like these things happen sometimes. Right. Um, so I was able to sort of navigate around some of those things, um, had lots of like movement. I felt like in my body of just like energy, the whole, basically I felt like I see the whole time. I don't know if this is true because the whole experience is like seven hours. Mm -hmm. I felt like my body shook the whole time. Like I felt like I just had this like constant, like wave of like energy release out of me. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the next day I was just exhausted. I felt like I'd run a marathon. Like it yeah. just, you know, there was just like, I felt just like this movement of like things that like just no longer serve me and just this, this just shift in my energy and, and that just like kind of moving out of my body. Um, so, I mean, there's so much more than that, but that, that's kind of it in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> what, um, 
is there a peak with MDMA or is it like LSD and psilocybin where it's like waves? There's a peak there too, but it's, you know, that up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. So, so when I, when I took the MDMA, I was given an initial dose um, at the time that I mentioned I took it. And then about 45 minutes in, I was offered a booster dose. So by the time I was offered the booster, the medicine had already kicked in, but the booster dose helped sustain the effects longer. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, you know, the initial come on of the medicine was probably about 45 minutes or so. And then I took the booster about an hour after that. Mm -hmm. And I stayed pretty consistent. I want to say, so I think I started at like 8 a.m., took the booster like around 9. And my I started to feel like I was coming back out of it around 2 o'clock. Wow, that's a true journey. That's a true journey. What, yeah. What level of um, fun- bodily function did you have? During the experience itself? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I got up one time during the experience to go to the bathroom, and I, and I had to have my, my person, like, help me get up. I was able to walk, um, but I was not steady. It was, like, drunk. Yeah, kind of exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, this is like college, you know, downtown day <laughs> or something, you know, like wandering around out here. Like, yeah, it was sort of like that. And um, it's interesting because when I got up to go to the bathroom, I took the eye shades off and my visual stuff, like there weren't any, there's not, like, not any like crazy visuals or anything that you have, but it was just like, things were like very bright and like light. Um, so, Ooh. so yeah, I felt like I had like normal function, but I was like also ready to lie down. I'm like, I don't really need to move around right now. I'm yeah. good. And I later had the thought, I was like, oh, people take this and they like go and like dance, dance. and like go to things. And I'm like, I just want to lie here on the bed. <laughs> like, that's like, I'm I, like, I'll start with that. I take anything and I'm like, I just want to lay down. I just, that's yeah. just my go-to. Yeah. Cause I never used MDMA recreationally. Like no. I had never experimented with that. I'd never taken it like, you know, in a, in a club setting or anything like that. So this is the first time I'd ever had experience with it. And I certainly did not feel like I was in any place to want to get up and do much of anything but again like you i i sort of just like to maybe just chill out you know <laughs> <Just> lay. <laughs> when i'm experimenting with new drugs for the first time yeah. <laughs> um okay so the the compassion piece i remember meeting with you you know seeing you after mm-hmm. and like like right after and you were so raw and mm. and lovey Mm-hmm. And like you helped me with something and I was like, oh shit, like I, yeah, 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 I should try to lean into this, like the compassion and that, that connection. It's all, it comes back to connection again, like you just said with the ketamine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I, it sounds like to me how you've described these experiences where you get so in touch with yourself and you can connect with yourself, but there's this added layer where you now understand others better mm-hmm. too. Totally. Yeah. That was, I think, one of the biggest shifts for me. It's like, you know, I could do all the therapy in the world, right? And attempt to, again, rationalize Mm -hmm. how did I get to this point? But when I was in that experience with the MDMA and I could feel it, at one point I felt, I was talking to my mom about this when I got home, I was, I felt my grandmother, Yeah. right? My mom's mom, like we were very close and I had a, a felt sense of her like being present with me. Yeah. And my, my guide and I were talking about this, you know, in the experience. So the, the funny thing, I'll say this before I move on. My guide said, you are the chattiest person I've ever had. <laughs> and he said, it's probably because you're a therapist. I'm like, yeah, it probably is. But like this person took like 15 pages of notes for me. And they're like, oh, I usually take about seven or eight. And I was like, well, 
overachiever. And sense of being judgmental. They were just like, you had a lot to say. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so we were talking about the experience, you know, in the moment with my grandmother and my, the guy said to me like, Hey, like, what's your grandmother's story? Right. Like, you know, and we were dialoguing a lot about, you know, my grandmother, you know, had, um, so my, my mom is one of four children, um, the youngest right now of, of the three children that are alive. Um, my grandmother had a fourth child that was a stillborn. Um, and, and sort of in our family, when we've talked about this, you know, about how my grandmother was never really quite the same after that experience, right? A huge trauma. Um, you know, my grandparents also like grew up depression era I know my grandmother's family was very poor like there was just kind of like all these things um and I just remember you know talking to, to my guide about this and I said you know my grandmother was always somebody who was like so loving but also was just really sad at the same time like really just seemed Damn. to be very depressed like the times kind of detached yeah and uh you know I came home and I was talking to my mom about this because you know my mom you know having grown up in that environment too has you know dealt with some of her own stuff as well. And like, we just had this really com honest conversation about what that was like, you know, I, and I said to her, I want to know more. Can you tell me more about mm -hmm. like what your story is? And I said the same thing to my dad, you know, and this is the funny thing when I, I called my dad and I said, Hey, I want to talk to you about this. I think initially he was kind of like, well, about what? <laughs> kind of, I kind of just want to know your story. Like, can you tell me more about, about our family, about my grandparents? Like, what was it like for you growing up? What, what, because I just wanted to know, I wanted to understand, like, you know, how did, how did we get here? Like, what, what do we need to do to heal? Like, what has to be different, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it just really gave me more of a sense of compassion versus attempting, again, to like rationalize and try to think my way out of it. I was just this felt sense of just like, okay, like, there's, there's just, there has to be love in these situations. Like there's gotta be love that's kind of carried forward for, for us to heal from some of these things generationally that have been going yeah. on. That's like true cycle breaker work. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, I think about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's not, it's not easy being the cycle breaker sometimes. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I tell my clients this all the time. I'm like, it's fucking hard. It's hard. It's so much easier to just like, do things on autopilot oh yeah oh yeah to be a person who is self-aware to be a person who is attempting to grow to be a person who's like pushing themselves sort of outside of like the norms maybe of their family it's courageous work on any level and it's um it's there's a you know no i'm not saying we're martyrs but there is a true there is a sacrifice that has to be made for it to be effective too Hopefully. and that part i don't know that that part's always talked about so much i think a lot of times it's a little bit glamorized right like to to love your new life you just you just have to release your old life and it's like that's <laughs> really sad though there's mourning there's grief totally there's like deaths of all these dynamics that you re mm -hmm. you come out of the medicine again that veil is lifted and you're like oh all these patterns whether it's relationships, you know, where you live, what you eat, what you consume, you know, social media, food, drinking, thoughts you entertain, how you speak to yourself, conversations that you've allowed to happen, everything must go. Yeah, 
it, you're right. I mean, that's why the integration is so important, right? Yeah. It's like, it's the ripple effect. It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't, this experience of, of these medicine experiences do not exist on their own. Mm. There, it's like, you know, all the time, like I said, I said this earlier, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. No. I have a client who says to me, his favorite saying since, since using psychedelics has been, you can't unring the bell. Ooh, like, I love that one. Once, once it happens, it happens and the wheels are sort of set forth in motion. And that's where, you know, like you and I talked about this. Hey, here's, here's the ripple effect, right? And it's not, it's going to affect all these different things in my life. And it's not always easy when it happens. Sometimes it's like a major disruption in something. Sometimes it's a subtle thing. It could just be a withdrawing from something slowly, (laughs) but people feel it and they notice people around us feel it and they notice. Everyone notices. But, but no one can, what I've noticed too, is that everyone will notice and most will struggle with being able to identify what's happening, you know? Yeah, definitely. Excuse me. And so Uh, it's the same thing too. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was gonna say it's the same thing, even like therapy sometimes, right? Like I talk to people a lot in therapy constantly about like boundary setting. Right. Right? That too in itself has a ripple effect, right? If I start to do something differently than I used to do it, people are going to take notice of that. And sometimes people are not going to like it. Sometimes people will celebrate it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be doing it. That's such a great point. And, you know, wow, that's such a great point. And hindsight is like three years ago, I just started putting, setting boundaries. Just started, right? Mm-hmm. And that alone was like, I was like, I'm, uh, I feel selfish and I feel like a C-U-N-T, to be honest with you. I feel like a real dick. And mm-hmm. now three here we are talking about this stuff and I'm like, oh, cakewalk, cakewalk yeah. compared to what's happening now, you know? Yeah. Um, there was something else I wanted to talk about connection. You, um, you shed light on so you've done such a beautiful job, a plus plus of like shedding light on different experiences with these medicines, um, and the, the after effects, right? and and mm-hmm. how there's so much if you choose to there's so much conscious adapting and re i don't know what the word is like repositioning things that you mm-hmm. you had in your life what you know it's such a bogus question but like right now you know before we get into what's coming up for you right now yeah. how do you feel about where you are compared to a year ago, two years ago, and like where you're going? Yeah, it's such a good question. I've been reflecting on this a lot, you know, with my next experience coming up. Um, One thing I think that's very different for me is I am much less guarded than I used to be as a person. I feel like Mm -hmm. I can just more authentically be myself. Um, You know, I was talking about the mountain that I encountered (laughs) in the MDMA session. Um, that mountain was there for a reason. That mountain served as a protective purpose for me for a lot of things that as a child, I just was not equipped to deal with. And I sort of had to like put this like wall up around me to sort of be able to take care of certain things that I wasn't ready for. And in having more compassion and love for myself, I've been able to have that for others. Mm-hmm. And I think I've also just been able to have just much healthier boundaries in some areas um, where I need to have them still like being able to identify them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. There's areas that I still struggle in with boundaries and, and people. Like, it's like, I'm not sitting here like on this like pedestal of like, Oh, I got it all figured out. Cause I don't, 
No. Um, it's, it's been a work in progress though, but I, I would say genuinely though, if anybody was listening to this, who knows me, I think that they would say from a year ago to today, I am like way less uptight. I am just a lot more like go with the flow, like much just more reflective versus reactive. Wow. Um, and just maybe softer a little bit. Yeah. You know, like the edges have been blurred a little bit, maybe. That's sweet. That's very sweet, yeah. Jenna. Yeah. Oh, I want to hug you. Aw, we'll give each other a virtual <laughs> hug, right? <Yeah. laughs> All right. Okay, so now we have your, you recently made a very, very big decision in your career. And you made a very, very big decision in your continuing medicine work. Can you take us through your career uh, transition? And, mm -hmm. and then we'll dive into your upcoming retreat. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, back in April of this year, I put my resignation in at my job that I've been working at for, I working with the state of New York, let's say for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was multifaceted reasons of like why that sort of happened. It was like the stars sort of aligned in this perfect combination of like, um, being maybe somewhat, I shouldn't say like unfulfilled by my work, but I just wasn't finding it very challenging anymore. It wasn't really kind of keeping my interest. And what I was sort of putting in wasn't being returned in a way that felt, um, I guess fulfilling is the best word. Yeah. Um, I had my practice part-time for about five years at, at this point. Uh, I had been pretty successful part-time. You know, I had finished some of the certifications that I was working on with some of the uh, psychedelic type work. And I was starting to get more inquiries for people interested in that work. And around that time, I also got COVID and got a lot of pushback from my other job about like working when I was sick. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, it's time. Um, <laughs> and also around that time. So I always forget about this. Like, I don't know how I forget about this because it was such a huge like gift from the universe. Uh, my student loans got forgiven. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of waiting on that too, because I had to have public service career to do that. Right. Um, and that ended up kind of all coming together literally like around the same time. And that wow. to me was just a huge like shove of like, okay, it's time to be like bumped out of the nest, right? Yeah. Like I've been contemplating, thinking about going full-time in practice for a while. I had talked to different people about it, talked to different business owners about it. One of it being a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dennis, who yes. owns the team, um, who has definitely been very encouraging and supportive in, yeah. in making that choice. Um, you know, so I, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do this, right? And it's interesting because it's like, similarly, maybe to like going into some medicine experiences, like kind of taking this leap of faith and like, okay, I'm going to like do this thing. And the responses to it were like really interesting for people around me. There were some people who were like, yeah, cool do it. Right. And there are other people who are like, are you insane? Right. Yep. Like what, what are you doing? Right. right? So <laughs> well, all that being said and done, you know, I, I put my resignation in and I, you know, kind of just put the word out to other clinicians and other people um, that I was going full-time into practice. I started to advertise a little bit more on some sites that were psychedelic uh, specific. And I, you know, had this like sort of mindset, maybe in the beginning, I was like, Oh, I don't, what's going to be enough. What's going to be enough right? In terms of people I should see or how much money I needed to make. And I can tell you that within a matter of a couple of weeks, like my practice was full. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've certainly, you know, been doing this now for about three months on my own. Um, next week will actually be three months that I've been uh, full-time in my own practice again. And I'm starting to now be more selective and tailoring 
you know, new clients that I'm taking, I really want to focus more on doing the psychedelic work with people. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of suspended maybe taking referrals at times for, let's say, like a more traditional therapy mm-hmm. and really trying to put the word out that this is the work I'm really looking to do. Like right now, I've integrated ketamine-assisted psychotherapy into my practice, and I've had more interest in that. Um, Netflix uh, adaptation of Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind has been super helpful for business. Yes. Like people have been like calling um, just inquiring or interested. And I just love talking to people about this stuff. So even if it's that we don't end up working together, just like giving Ugh. people like solid leads on things or just education on things or good places to go and get information um, has certainly been something that I've enjoyed doing as well with, within reason, obviously of the time that I have to do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of a cool transition and uh, you know, I've had a really wonderful summer. I've been able to kind of like make my own schedule and like do the work that I want to be doing and still be very abundant. And I'm very grateful for that. Really, really good. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's, it stuck out to me that, you know, you left when you left, you know, we were talking at that time and um, you left, you went full time. And I really want to emphasize this. You, then after you went full-time with your practice, then you were like, you know what? I'm not just full-time. I really want to focus here on psychedelic work. That to me was like, oh, this is again, the universe is here again. Like they plucked you out and they're like, we're going to give her a minute. And like, you were like, yeah, no, this is it. I'm, this is my full route. I'm going here with like, there's a surrender in, in how you speak, right? You're like, this is the path. This isn't like the end point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even further than that, you know, there's times where, where I guess my brain is kind of already going. It's like, okay, like what else do I want to do with this? Like, how do I want to see this develop? Right. Like, I think that there's this piece of me that loves doing therapy with people. And like, you know, I had a ketamine assisted session this morning and it was really beautiful and wonderful. And then there's this part of me that's like, you know, what else do I want to do? Like, what other things am I interested in that maybe tie into this? Like, I've always been somebody who's really interested in aspects of like spirituality, um, you know, thinking about, again, like the whole person model of something, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, thinking about like what other things or other tools or things can I work on or, or collaborate with other professionals over that can sort of create a place or an experience for a person to access all these things at one time and not have to like silo these things out you know, into, into places or, or to providers who are not connected with each other. Um, you know, I think I've, I've voiced this to people before and I don't know how this is going to come to fruition at some point, but I would love to have a, a, a practice or a place where there's, you know, different, you know, backgrounds of professionals working together to treat yes. that person model, right. Including the spiritual piece of it. Yes. Um, that's like a dream. That's like a big like vision type thing, you know, for me, maybe so in the beautiful. future, I don't know what that is. Again, ideas person, not the details person, just so, uh, you know. <laughs> but you're manif- you're manifesting this right now, and my brain's doing a lot of things right now, but we'll talk later about that. Um, okay, and then you, you know, you made a big decision about your next medicine retreat. Do you care mm-hmm. to share a bit about that decision-making process and what you're doing, where you're going? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to be going to Costa Rica to Soltara for ayahuasca retreat. Um, I leave actually a little bit under a month from now. Um, I'm going to be there for a week. And uh, ayahuasca has been like on my radar for a little bit. But um, I think maybe what's 
I guess you'd say what's deterred me in the past. I feel like it's been like a buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having been somebody yourself who sat with ayahuasca, um, probably know way more than I do about what that experience is like. But I, you know, my my takeaways from when I've talked to people who have sat with ayahuasca or people who are, you know, experienced in, you know, maybe doing integration work with people who have experienced ayahuasca is that it's it's like no joke, like that it's intense. Um, you know, there's a lot of space, I feel like, you know, that needs to be taken around preparation and integration. And I think like, you know, six months ago, if I had wanted to experience something like that, I don't believe I could have carved out the right amount of time to do it. Yeah. And I felt for me too, it's been kind of this buildup of like, okay, I've got some of these other experiences now under my belt. I feel more confident. I feel like, you know, I'm in a place maybe mentally, spiritually, and emotionally where I could like handle something that, Mm -hmm. you know, is really going to potentially like, uh, annihilate my ego, which I'm totally cool with. Um, so I feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, this is like the time that I feel like I'm ready to do this. And then the the other benefit of now having my own business, I can carve out the time to do it. I guess what I, I say is the right way of doing it for me, at least, right. um, of, of giving myself a little bit of time before and, and giving myself a lot of space when I come home before I'm just jumping back into like doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like that's it's coming up. <laughs> It's uh, beautiful to see, you know, I know the day that you booked and and now it's like, you know, so much is already like unfolding and just, um, it's different for everyone, right? Every, every psychedelic journey is different for everyone. And every psychedelic journey we have, they're all different in my experience anyway. And from what I hear other people describe too, Mm -hmm. um, with ayahuasca, you, uh, I, on the, I'm drinking the medicine and I was, you know, able minded at that point. Like I was still on earth and I was like, we're, we're graduating like that. I kept saying that in my head. I was like, this is graduation. This is like, this is the graduation ceremony. And like, I didn't, I like forgot that I was saying that. And then I came to, you know, reflecting on my journal later. And I was like, what was that? Like, what, what, why was I saying that? But it's like, um, even what happened with you, like these things collided so that you could leave your job, like the loans and they're being assholes. And like, you're just like already opened up and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And you do it. You go full-time in the practice. You transform the practice a bit. You're going to Solterra. It's like, uh, that's not, you know, we'd be remiss to, to not acknowledge, like, isn't that kind of funny? Isn't that kind of interesting and spooky and woo mm-hmm. and like, it's all happening. Like she make, you know, the spirit of ayahuasca, right? They say she's a mother, a grandmother, and she makes shit happen once you commit to it. And this, I had very similar leading up, like short period of time where I was like, I'm just going to go. And then things start changing. What I'm curious is each, uh, each week that you get closer, Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be experiencing things and things will come up for you. What, mm-hmm. what are you experiencing now? And what are you, what are you looking for? That's going to be different from your ketamine and MDMA experiences. I think what I'm experiencing now is um, trying to kind of hone in on what it is that I am looking for. Right. So like, I had a preparation session probably about two weeks ago with a therapist that's, you know, part of the, the retreat center. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this 
preparation session because I just wanted to have somebody who's like seasoned sort of in doing this work with people just kind of like maybe like walk me through. And it wasn't so much I was curious about the the actual medicine experience as much as I was like, I want to just talk it out with another human of like what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And what we kind of got down to was really trying to look at what are what are things that sort of hang around for me that feel like fears or self-limiting beliefs, right? As we're talking about going into this place of this expansiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Like going into my own business, you know, moving forward in different places of my life. There's some areas I think that I still feel like I struggle in. Yeah. And this is a, this is an exercise here in vulnerability for me talking about this. But, um, you know, anybody who knows me and knows me well knows that sometimes just like, you know, personal relationships for me, romantic relationships, things like that still kind of remain a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. Um, definitely a goal of mine to have a partner in my life. Um, at some point. And I feel like sometimes there's like some things around that for me that I still am not sure like how to navigate. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes too, I think even in just like my expansiveness professionally or otherwise, there's times where I kind of feel like, am I being too much? Like, am I, is this, Mm. is this too much to ask the people? Am I, is this too big of an idea? Is this, you know, how do I get past this like limiting belief about something, right? Like whether it's a partner or a a business idea, like where, how do I get into the space of being open to receiving everything it is that I desire and deserve, right? Yeah. Um, Powerful. Yeah. Trying to get to like the bottom of some of those things. Um, I think like my other experiences are like sort of set me up of being just more open and like accessing again, like what that like love, what that connection feels like, what's been like the generational piece that has led me to being who I am today. And I think in this experience, what I'm hoping for is like taking that a step further, you know, kind of getting beyond, you know, (laughs) those things that are, that are maybe still like hindrances. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you, I'm just curious, um, have you gone down any ayahuasca rabbit holes on YouTube or Instagram or anything? Nope, I have not. <laughs> wow, you are you're sh- way stronger than me, girlfriend, because I could not consume enough, even the dark ones. <laughs> I listened, like, you know, when you came back from your your journey, I listened to, you know, your experiences through your podcast. I, actually, I'm sorry, you, I think you put something on YouTube. Yeah. But I don't know that it was a podcast at that point. I, I listened to those. I've, um, I follow some content, you know, on, on social media, like Instagram. I know there's an account you recommended to me, mm-hmm. uh, for an individual, you know, I follow some of the major retreats on our stuff, but I have not really desired to like take it any further. Smart. Like I kind of just want to show up and like, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> let her just let her take the wheel. Yeah. Cause, and I, I think that it's maybe that's again, that like maybe more impulsive part of myself is just like, okay, we're just going to fucking do this. Right. Like <laughs> no matter how many videos I watch, like, I, I don't know that that's going to help me or not. Like I just need to get, I need to physically get there and show yeah. up and then I'm just going to be all in once yeah. I'm there. I, I truly, that is the best attitude to have is like, like just go and think later when it comes yeah. to this, that is the only way to go. Mm -hmm. I did not feel fear until I stepped on the ground at Rhythmia, but it was like also partnered with this overwhelming sense of um, like maternal, I cannot explain it. I was not drinking anything at that point, but it was this overwhelming feeling of maternal warmth from every single person um, on the retreat center. So I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if you experienced that too, but the, uh, the fear will, she'll take care of herself. She, she knows when to show up and, 
um, you're going to such a trust trusted retreat center that has such beautiful reviews and they really hold, um, they hold the traditions as such focal points, you know, yeah. not just the medicine tradition, but like the flower bathing and like the back, the, you know, practicing purging. There's like a certain word that they use. I'm forgetting, but like it, Solterra is just such a really beautiful, this like sacredness they hold in the history mm -hmm. of the medicine and, and what it means to, to be with the medicine in these small groups, you're going to be with less than 20 people, right? Yeah. The last that I saw from, from what they posted is so I'm going to sugar beach, which is, I believe seven, capped at 17 people. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's a very small, you know, pretty intimate setting. And I, I think like the other thing that sort of came to me the other day, as I was thinking about going on this retreat is that, this is the first time I've traveled internationally, I think since like 2018 now. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I love to do international travel prior to this. So I'm like super jazzed about that. And also too, like the expansiveness and connectedness of people since I've kind of started to go on these journeys, right? Like not even just going away to places, but just connecting with people in this space, you know, like yeah. yourself or other colleagues that I've worked with or, you know, other peers or clients that I've worked with, right? Like creating this community yeah. around this stuff is so important. So it's like, oh, cool. I get to like, not only go to this like beautiful place, um, I get to travel internationally for the first time, which I have not done. Yeah. I get to be immersed into this culture, which just like you said, is just so strongly rooted in tradition. Yeah. And I get to meet new people. And every experience I've had where I've traveled in the past year, like, you know, I've been to California twice. Um, or, or I've like attended some like seminars and stuff online. I've just met so many incredible people and it's just so exhilarating to be connecting with people again, especially after like COVID, right? Seriously. It, yeah. it is like a, it, that's medicine for the soul too. Just being able to have conversations with people in this space. Um, there, I cannot explain it. It's, it's just so good for, it's healing us after COVID truly. Yeah, it's really, I'm really looking forward to that too. And I just think like, you know, just meeting some more cool people, yeah. you know, I love hearing people's stories. I think that's one thing I've realized too, is that hearing people's stories is just like so moving and powerful for yeah. me as a person, yeah. like, you know, hearing how did somebody get to where they are, right? Like, and I care, I want to hear all the details. Yeah. I don't care like how, you oh know, my God. Yeah, they feel how sad they are. Like, yep. I just want to know, like, tell me, like, yep. how did you get here? I want, I really genuinely want to know. And I, I want to hold that space for people. So I think what I, I've sort of had to shift for myself is like, I'm going into this retreat as a participant, not a therapist. Mm. I need to like shut that part of myself, you know, off maybe a little bit and allow myself to receive rather than feeling like I have to give. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I, I guess, like, as we're talking about, this is like coming up for me as I'm thinking about it, that, that, that this isn't like, I'm not going here to do training and maybe I am like inadvertently, mm -hmm. but I'm going here for my own healing process. Right. Very interesting that you use this, the word receive because, yeah. because ayahuasca is, is considered a feminine energy. It's a feminine spirit, feminine, 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 feminine. Right. And mm -hmm. our feminine energy is us being able to receive our masculine energy is the giving and typically people who have like mountains are typically the doers and the givers oh yeah i sit in my masculine energy quite a bit yeah and uh yeah. that's gonna i'm i'm i can't wait to to hear about your journey and, and what comes up for you there that's so interesting because she'll she'll 
touch it. She's going to touch it. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I know. <laughs> she will. Um, so before I let you go, thank you so much for all of this. I really can't wait to hear and like watch you on your, on this part of your journey. I think it's going to be so, um, just life changing, um, in so many ways for you. If you could talk to nine-year-old Jenna, Aww. yeah, what would you, <laughs> what would you say to her today? What, what would you tell her? Mm-hmm. The first thing I would tell her is that, you know, she is just wonderful as she is, right? That she's cool and, you know, that she is fine just as she is as a person, that she's lovable, that I'm proud of her, Mm -hmm. um, that no matter what she goes through, that I'll always be here with her, Um, you know, that she doesn't have to pretend to be something that she's not. Um, you know, she doesn't have to be, you know, strong all the time that it's okay to let other people take care of her and love her. Um, and that she's just pretty badass. Like she was kind of like beaten to her own drum, you know, back then too, to some degree. Um, and that it's, it's just, it's nice to see that emerging in her again. Yeah. You know, that she can just do maybe things that maybe push the fringes a little bit and be okay with it. Um, and that, that it's going to be okay to do that stuff. So beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Jenna, can you just commit right now on the show, um, that you will come back at some point after your afterglow has, you know, run its course? Yeah, definitely. I would love to. It's been really fun to do this. this, My first podcast, I appreciate you inviting me on. It's been wonderful to see your journey unfold. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, the work that you're doing and I, I would love to do that. Absolutely. You are a, you are a natural star for real. What's your moon and your rising again? I am a Sagittarius moon, Scorpio rising. Oh, right, right, right. That's where your creepy shit comes in is your Scorpio. Yep, a dark creepy shit all yes, day. Love yep. it. I, I have a Scorpio moon and um, yeah, you're so fiery. I love this. Okay. That's all I needed to know, Jenna. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to do this again when you come back from, come back from the depths. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Jess. I appreciate it. No problem. To the tarot we go, and this week we have the three of cups in reverse, the 10 of swords, Six of Pentacles in reverse, and we got Six of Swords at the bottom of the deck. What I'm seeing here is there is some struggle and hardship in our collective energy that we are coming out of. The beautiful thing about the Ten of Swords, even though it's depicted as one of the most um, violent of the cards and depicted as very painful, it's a painful ending, Ten Swords in the back of a body laying on the ground, The uh, silver lining of this card is that it's a 10 card and 10s in tarot mark the completion of a cycle. So what this means is the hard parts over, 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 over. So with three of cups in reverse, it's like, uh, you know, three of cups is celebration. It's the goddesses of fate. It's um, could be divine unions. It's it's celebrating coming together, you know, um, joy emotions of fulfillment in reverse is typically you know the opposite of that right so it's it's a hard time ten of swords is a hard time (laughs) 
but that being over. And the six of pentacles showing up in reverse too is letting me know that this painful ending or this uncomfortable, this this uncomfortable growth we are, you know, in energetically right now. The the purpose behind this discomfort and this, you know, growth spurt that we're enduring is to make sure that the scales are balanced again. Six of pentacles in reverse is an imbalance. It's a, uh, you know, lack of generosity or lack of reciprocity um, and the scales being upside down. So with all of this, you know, hard, hard energy, this is difficult energy, we are reminded that not only is this the end of this part of the chapter, the journey, the portion, but the Six of Swords at the bottom of the deck is indicative of moving from troubled waters to still waters. So there is hope here. We're coming out of it. The end of July and the end of August are both going to be highly energetic parts of the summer where we can expect to experience changes, discomfort, growing pains, releasing and anything that, you know, anything we're not releasing that needs to be released, the universe will make sure that those tower moments happen and that we are ultimately on the path for our highest good and highest vibrational alignment. So if this is resonating with you this week, just know that the hard part's over. Things are going to start to get better. We are headed towards calmer waters. And remember that you ultimately always have choice and you always have free will. And when you need to lean into um, peace, stillness, and all of your grounding techniques, all of your grounding activities to give you that um, sense of control back. Thanks guys. And I will see you next week. Thank you again for listening to this episode and all the episodes you've listened to so far. I appreciate you. If you are making a big life decision or have a big burning question, I encourage you to book your free life or career coaching consult with me at www.jessicaposilico.com or bring me those burning questions and we'll ask the tarot deck. You can book your live or video tarot reading at www.highpriestesshealing.me. Or if you're more in need of an energetic reset and to balance your chakras in a guided meditation and Reiki healing session, you can book that with me at www.highpriestesshealing.me. Come heal with me, guys. Bye.